0: Hello, oh, and welcome to the Her and Him Podcast. I'm Dale.
1: And I am Tamara.
0: And when two theologians get married, what you get...
1: Is podcast.
0: Well, it's nap time again. Yes. It's a very tenuous nap time for the two boys. It is. It usually them, is. Yeah, one of them stayed up a little late last night, so we'll see how it happens because he slept in an hour and now he doesn't know who he is or where he's come from, so...
1: Yeah, he asked me for all of his stuffed animals be put in the crib with him today
0: well to be fair he only has two right
1: oh no he has more oh i put more
0: oh, okay i just he, know about the two main ones that he no likes. he
1: was pointing out more as i was putting him down and i just kept passing him more stuffed animals he's already thrown most of them out so <laughs>
0: <laughs> we'll see all right well we do have two baby boys one is uh not quite two months old And the other one who's currently chucking his (laughs) stuffed animals out of his crib is about a year and a half. Yep. And so we're in the phase of life.
1: Where we're exhausted
0: always. Yes. And we're also learning what it looks like to discipline another human being.
1: Yes. He has a very adventurous spirit about him and he has a strong will. And what he wills in life is different than what I will for him. And um, I think we find ourselves in some very challenging situations with him because he's such a strong-willed child. And I would like to believe his intentions are good sometimes. But when I find moments when the trash can is completely emptied and there's coffee grounds in his mouth, I wonder... What were your intentions in this scenario?
0: Yeah, I mean, so he is prone to trouble. And common offenses include things like unplugging the internet router while you're on an important work call.
1: I mean, he did that once. He does like to unplug things. Mm -hmm. And we did experience a time when Dale was on a very important Zoom meeting and, and the internet went black. Our beautiful son, Silas, <laughs> was the culprit for the internet no longer working.
0: You mentioned emptying the trash. There's, yes. There's also uh, the problem of throwing things, particularly yeah. when, when those things are rocks. That's,
1: rocks. that's troublesome. And Legos. But when a rock is in his hand, it's not, it's not going to end well.
0: It's either going... In his mouth. In his mouth, or he's going to chuck it at somebody. Uh, he's also been known to tear plants out of their potted homes. He's prone to occasional biting. That's a fan favorite. Oh, and the pinching. You like the pinching a lot. That's a good he one. He
1: pinches. Yeah, it's occasional biting, and um, I feel like i made excuses for it. <laughs> but it's like he gets so excited. He just doesn't know what to do with himself, and he has to oh, like— Oh, I
0: just got to take a chunk of flesh out of you. He
1: just has to— He just has to express it physically and I'm not saying it's okay, but I think he's just like in training of how to handle his emotions and I'm his mom. So of course I'm going to make excuses, but Dale, your list of, of my son is troubling. I mean, my beautiful, precious baby boy
0: is a terror, man. He's crazy. He's
1: just, he just has a mind of his own.
0: Don't we all? Don't we all? (laughs) So because of that, we're learning what it looks like to discipline your child. And it's tough.
1: It's hard. It's very challenging when you love them.
0: And homie don't listen.
1: He doesn't listen.
0: No. And Yeah, he can't really be reasoned with. So discipline usually involves like a combination of yelling to shake his concentration from the uh, coffee mug that he's about to dump on his head full of hot coffee. Yep. Or... Spanking him for repeated offenses, but it's tough. It's a tough thing. You think like, oh, I just want to have a nice morning with you. I'm not trying to yell at you and spank you because you want to pour hot coffee on things and tear apart the house and dismember your little brother.
1: Right. Yeah. I mean, discipline is hard, but we are certainly finding out that it's necessary. Obviously, with Silas, if you were to let him be the way that he wants to be we would probably be missing some windows because he threw a rock through them. um yeah it wouldn't be good it wouldn't be a good scenario so discipline is certainly necessary uh in our life for silas and i'm sure titus will be the same way i don't imagine he's gonna be
0: we still got some time yeah he's still just like a potato with googly eyes right now
1: yeah and his cute little cries sometimes. Sometimes they're not so cute, but sometimes they are cute. <laughs> they're like, it kind of
0: sounds like a cat. <laughs> he goes, wah!
1: <laughs> Anyways, yeah, so discipline is hard, but it's something that we have to do for the sake of raising a child that can exist in society. And hopefully be uh, life-giving to society and not life-taking from society.
0: We all know those people.
1: That, <laughs> that's the goal. We
0: all know those people.
1: But when it comes to the church, uh, it's actually no different.
0: It's a little bit different. I mean, I hope people aren't throwing rocks at each other in the church, but... I mean,
1: I'm sure sure, there's a YouTube video out there somewhere. (laughs) People throwing rocks at one another. But yeah, that's the topic we want to talk about today is church discipline. It's not a fun topic.
0: It's like the least fun topic.
1: It is. In the same way, I don't enjoy disciplining Silas, Uh. The church does not enjoy discipline, but it's something that's in the Bible. And so we thought it would actually be something
0: we should talk about. Right, because a lot of people have been hurt by this, and in a couple of different ways. But whenever there's grievous offenses in the church, grievous sins in the church— the church is called to correct those things that are happening in our own midst so that, you know, we can course correct, we can protect our witness in the world, and we can maintain the effectiveness of our mission. And the idea, it I mean, it, it tends to feel pretty icky, right? Because we're Americans, and so we don't like putting ourselves under somebody's leadership or authority. Right. And we're adults. We are adults, and we generally have this mindset. And even more than being adults, like being an American is this mindset of like, you cannot tell me what to do. I tell you what to do. And so that when everybody feels that way, the idea of coming under authority in leadership is antithetical to the fiber of your existence. In so a it's
1: like, Silas, it's like being a toddler in an adult body. You will not tell me what to do.
0: That is the American way.
1: It's just a... that is what
0: it means to be an American. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a, to... just a toddler with a... With an AR-15.
1: Oh, gosh. That went dark really fast. I was just <laughs> going to say like a six-foot toddler.
0: A six-foot toddler with an AR-15. I don't
1: know why we have to have an AR-15 And a propensity
0: involved. for fatty foods.
1: <laughs> well, Silas loves fatty foods too, so.
0: Absolutely. So it's a one-to-one <laughs> on that one.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: So, but the Bible talks a lot actually about... Uh, discipline as a construct. And then in the new Testament uh, for the church as a construct within that community. And so we at least need to reckon with it. And certainly there's some horror stories and we mm-hmm. don't want to gloss over that. We'll probably touch on a couple of those that we've witnessed or been party to in our lifetime. Uh, and we don't want to minimize those. Um, and in fact, we even want to diagnose those a little bit. And so just like parents, there's like permissive churches. There's yeah authoritarian churches, and then there's other churches that hopefully have a healthy sense of it, and none of them ever gets it right all the time. Again, just like being a parent, you, know, you get it right all the time, uh, but we want to take a look at a cornerstone Bible passage that talks about this, and it actually comes from the mouth of Jesus. So Paul talks about this a little bit, but really when Paul talks about it, he's referencing back to what Jesus has said, and so we want to look at the passage. This is kind of like the passage when it, we're talking about church discipline, Uh, When someone in the church has committed an offense, a sin, something that requires resolution or discipline, these are Jesus' words, and those come to us in Matthew 18, verses 15 through 20.
1: Yeah, and it says, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault, between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. So there's a lot happening here. I'm sure the part that we're most familiar with in these set of verses. Oh, is the one is we take out of context? The one that we take out of context, which we did a podcast on. Uh, wherever two or three are gathered, there I am. <laughs> uh, that's the verse that we usually gravitate to in terms of prayer or, you know, other church or even just personal decisions, like if there's two or three, Jesus is with us. But this is actually in the context of church discipline. And so what's happening here is Jesus saying, if another believer sins against you, you should first go to them privately and try and work it out with them. And I think this is probably the largest area that we get wrong because we don't take the first step of resolving it with that person right. we usually
0: talk to somebody else Talk to somebody else about what that person did
1: and that's called gossip and oh so, that's what that's
0: called yeah oh my gosh i know that's the thing that baffling. the bible tells us to do not to do all the time <laughs> yeah oh, so, dang, like, instead i need to revise some of my
1: <laughs> right.
0: some of my actions then
1: instead of resolving it directly with them before you even talk to anybody else just go directly to them try and work it out together um we bring other people like we jumped to step two before we even try and figure out step one. So we try and like rally our troops and rally our team for yeah. our side. And then we want to go to the other person. Um, I think that's
0: probably because we're a little bit chicken. Like we're conflict avoidant and yet we have an affinity for drama.
1: I mean, we love reality TV, so it makes sense. Mm-hmm. But here, uh, when when we... Look at the offense happening. Jesus doesn't actually describe.
0: I think that's the part that makes it hard.
1: Right. Like, when do I sit down face to face with somebody and tell them that they've offended me? Is that all it is? Is it just like, hey, you offended me? No. Like, there's something a little deeper than you were just offended because somebody gave you a sideways eye. Like, there's something deeper happening here that Jesus is talking about.
0: Right. But, like... I think, but we don't know exactly what, what it is. is it? And you can definitely go like one way or the other. Like you can get someone for like the most minor infraction and then you need to pull them aside and make it awkward and really weird. Um, I've had that happen to me where it was just like, it was like a joke I made and then someone like didn't realize that I was mm-hmm. joking. And so they're like, I don't know if I can be friends with someone who believes that. And I was like, oh, it was just a joke. And they're like, oh, really? I was like, yeah, and then it was, it was a thing. But it was like this really weird like, oh, can you step aside here and talk with me for a second? And it was just like, I don't know. It was weird. We can have a tendency to do that. Or because you don't want to be you know, judgy judgy, uh, you can really let things balloon to an outright scandal before you even whisper a word of it or even broach the subject. And then it becomes this whole big thing. And it's just – And it could
1: have been dealt with but because you were fearful or you just – you weren't sure what it was to exercise wisdom in that situation. It ends up growing into something far greater. But either way, uh, let's say you have rightly understood the size of an offense and you've gone to them and they just kind of blew you off. They didn't want to resolve it. They thought you were making a big deal out of something.
0: They were like me in that situation. Yeah,
1: they were like you. <laughs> just a joke, bro. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, maybe I should tell you the joke because someone had said some- Maybe
1: you shouldn't. I don't know. Are you going to offend people with your joke? I don't joke? know. We were,
0: we were in a group of. Friends and someone said, oh, I can't even remember what they said, but I have the type of name that you would think I was such and such. And I said, yeah, with a name like Dale Chamberlain, you, I have the type of name that you would think that I have, I'm flying a Confederate flag in my front yard. Because it's, I have kind of a redneck sending name. And it was just a joke. Yeah. But they, thought, they took that to mean that I was...
1: That you had a Confederate that I flag? I
0: supported a Confederate flag in my front yard. Oh.
1: Yeah. They just misunderstood you.
0: Right. But... That joke I mean, was a swing and a miss for them, I guess. It wasn't, I mean... Some people just don't get humor, I you I would know? say maybe, like, it, I'm just, so maybe hilarious. it
1: wasn't a good joke.
0: I refuse to believe that. Yeah. Okay. All my jokes land.
1: We'll have another podcast on humility <laughs> later I'm on. the most
0: humble person I've ever met. Yeah, Come on now. exactly.
1: But anyway, so let's say you went to somebody and, you know, you tried to talk about the offense with them and they blew you off in such a way that Dale has done, um and you just weren't getting anywhere with them, then the next step that Jesus is calling you to take is to go to two or three other people who have seen them in that act, and then you guys can go talk to them together. So it's not just finding people who are your really good friends and thinking, well, now they have authority over you. That's not the way that it works. It is coming together with other people who have witnessed this same offense or sin in somebody's life.
0: Yeah, and at that point, it's kind of like, Intervention style. Yes. I feel like at that point, it's got to be something fairly serious.
1: Right. Like if you're bringing together more people, like if we're conspiring mm-hmm. to intervene. Yeah. And if at that point, the person still doesn't repent or doesn't even acknowledge or there's no sense of reconciliation or, um, yeah, any kind of apology or anything to fix the situation. Then Jesus says that you bring it to the church, and that means church leaders specifically.
0: Right. And then if before the church, you know, the congregation or representatives thereof, they still refuse, then uh, Jesus says you treat them as an unbeliever, to put it in a Catholic way. You excommunicate them from from the gathering. And so at that point, like things have really gone off the rails and this is a bad situation.
1: Yeah, and at this point, if you're taking it to this level, then it should be a pretty heavy. It should be offense. a bad one. Yeah, you don't
0: know, just do this for like something small. Yeah, yeah, and I think what's important at the end of this passage is when Jesus imbues authority mm-hmm. to the church to carry this out, and he says, "Hey, whatever you bind up in heaven will be be bound on earth, and whatever you loose on uh, in earth on earth will be bound up in heaven." I reversed it the first time, but. Whatever you do here, it it echoes into, you know, heavenly authority. And so that's what he says. So if two or three of you agree on your course of action that like, hey, this person is, you know, outside the bounds of what is acceptable. They're unrepentant. We've tried everything that we can. It says whatever authoritative decision you make that I honor that, Jesus says. And so it's a pretty serious thing to Kind of bestow this authority on the church. Um, but this is the measure to which Jesus says, like, I want the church to be pure and to be discipled and to be kept on the same path as one another. And so it, it is this high calling. But I think this whole passage leaves us with some questions. And I think the most important question that if we get it wrong, we get the whole thing wrong. Mm. Like, yeah. what is the purpose of this church discipline? Like, is it just to keep people in line? Is it to punish them? Like, what are, what are we trying to do when we exercise church discipline?
1: I think the end goal is certainly redemption and restoration. Um, but we'll kind of get to that a little bit later. Because you see this carried out incorrectly, a lot because people either think, man, eh, it's not a big deal. We don't need to exercise church discipline. That feels kind of punitive to me. Um, but then you have others who take church discipline to the extreme and they like to view it as an privilege on their end to exercise judgment over somebody. And that is not the role. Don't you just
0: love hanging out with those people?
1: Yeah. That's not the role of the church. And that's not what Jesus had in mind when he talked about church discipline. It was not this pass to exercise judgment just because you're a leader within the church. That's not what it's about. Ultimately, it's about restoring and redeeming that person back into the body of Christ. And we are supposed to be there to care for one another. And sometimes the care in areas of sin doesn't feel comfortable. And we don't like it as the person receiving discipline and hopefully the person exercising discipline doesn't enjoy it either. But, of course, you do see some church leaders, unfortunately, that do find their calling (laughs) in church discipline as a measure of judgment over the congregant.
0: And I think on the other end, so, like, there's— those kind of church leadership styles and structures that are going to lead with an iron fist on this, and then there are others who are going to be you know, so permissive that we're like, nah, I don't want to get involved in any of this. I think both of those groups actually have the same misunderstanding as to what church discipline is for. Hmm. That's a hot take right there, but I'll explain it. So I think they are both viewing church discipline as a punitive measure, as primarily a punitive measure. And so if church discipline is primarily a punitive measure, that if you are someone who craves power and you're in church leadership and your authority structure is kind of based on kind of dominant power, then you're going to lean into church discipline like hard, like a real top-down hammer fist approach because it's punitive and you like that. Whereas on the other side, if you're more permissive, You see church discipline as primarily punitive, and you say, like, that's not my jam. I'm, like, not here to rule with an iron fist. I'm here to support people, to hopefully lead them in a direction, but I'm not about being punitive. And because you see church discipline as punitive, it makes you lean away from it, but then you're not discipling those peoples in the matters that are actually most relevant to them. Because where you're stumbling is where you need discipleship because the direction you're going that's causing you to to go down a path of uh, this creating conflict or is uh, engaging in some kind of sinful activity, that was discipled into you. And so that needs to be discipled out of you. And so in some ways, church discipline, rightly done, yeah. go to the person individual. And then if it becomes a bigger thing, then we bring a couple of us in and we kind of work through and coach with this person and kind of talk about it. Hopefully it ends there you know, ultimately kind of escalating up the ladder, if we see that fundamentally as a discipleship restoration process rather than a punitive process, then that's where discipleship happens in really important ways. And the punitive measures are a last resort. And if you're going into it with just a purely punitive mindset, then you're not doing good for anybody.
1: Mm. Yeah. And that's because ultimately we're hoping that through both love and discipline, like you are able to meet somebody where they are and redeem them back into the fold in the same way with our son. We don't want him pouring hot coffee on himself and obviously we don't want him pulling plants out, but in the end we want to be able to discipline him in love so that way he can be a good member of society. And somebody who can flourish in society well. And we would be doing him a disservice not to discipline him. And I think the key point is discipline in love. Because discipline for the sake of just disciplining him, because we're mad at him, it's not going to get us anywhere. He's going to end up in more therapy than he'll already be in after he gets older.
0: Right. Like we're we're already saving for college. Like we don't want to have to pay for the therapy too. <laughs> right. It's expensive. Both of those things expensive.
1: Yeah. So the idea of discipline in like this parenting role is because you have something greater in mind. For your child, you have their future and really their whole self in mind. I think that is the same concept of the church is you're not disciplining for the sake of disciplining or even for humiliating someone because there can be some pretty damaging effects to somebody, their mind and their soul when you discipline them, especially if it becomes public. So if you're taking those measures, then it absolutely as a parent has to get to that point. But the goal is to restore them and to redeem them and to walk with them back into the restorative measures within the church.
0: Right. I think the other question is, and we we kind of danced around this a little bit already, but like what constitutes an offense that needs church discipline?
1: I think this is where things get really slippery because everyone has. Depends a, on who you
0: talk to. Yeah.
1: Everyone has a different definition of what is an offense or a sin that is worthy of church discipline. And we wouldn't want to suggest that church discipline needs to happen for minor things. There are adults in your congregation who are part of your churches, but they have autonomy and they make their own decisions with their lives. So it's not for the church to be this domineering dictator over their lives just because you're a leader within the church. Like there is room for people to sin, not because we want them to sin, but it it doesn't mean that every single sin someone does, you need to exercise church discipline because then church would just be about discipline all the time for every member of the church.
0: Right. And that's kind of like the whole thing that Jesus came to break. (laughs)
1: right like that's the
0: whole battle he was fighting
1: yeah so if something becomes relatively serious I think in case by case the leadership and fellow members of the church need to be able to exercise wisdom and discernment and that's hard because we want this hard and fast rule of what merits church discipline and what doesn't but I think Jesus left that a bit more open for a reason because leaders need to be able to exercise some wisdom there
0: yeah definitely and i even think too like like sometimes what one person is is saying is a sin is like a difference of opinion Mm -hmm. like there's a big difference between like hey i heard this rumor that you drank a beer at that party like you need to come under discipline Mm. the difference between that and like hey like your wife came to us and she's really concerned and we're seeing you're posting a lot on social media and you're just like fall down drunk like Mm all the time. Like there's two different, and it's like affecting your family and like your kids are worried about their dad. Like those, like those are two very different situations. And so I think, like you said, there's wisdom that needs to be exercised because, um, maybe something is a sin or a difference of opinion. Or sometimes, you know, there, there's, I'm not going to say there's a sin that's not a big deal, but Mm -hmm. because uh, I think it was Cornelius Planica that said, every sin is equally wrong, but not every sin is equally bad. Hmm. Like it's not equal – it doesn't have the same negative consequences. And so I think when you're coming into this situation, by and large, if it's something that's like wreaking certain consequences on that family, from that family to another family in the church, you know, in the church generally, the church's reputation, I think then you're talking about something that's going to be a a kind of issue that you're going to need to address.
1: Right. So if it is negatively affecting the witness of the church – Or if it is affecting or even endangering other people, whether that be the family, whether that be the church, whether that be um, other members of the church. Those are kind of some, I guess, guidelines or parameters that you would want to fall within if there is this negative witness on behalf of the whole church. Or if there is some negative effects or danger from person to person because of this sin, then those are probably matters that you'll want to bring before church discipline, as Jesus explains it to be
0: right, like what are the ripples? What are the shock waves? And if there are none, maybe it's something you you pull them aside and you say, like, "Hey, I see this, and you know, um, you know, we have a relationship." So I just thought I'd bring this up. Uh, is a big difference between like if the shock waves are big, like very like in a grave way coming towards them and mm-hmm. with a great sense of seriousness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So what are some ways that I mean we've kind of been speaking in generalities here, but I think both of us probably along with a lot of our listeners, have a plethora of stories. W- what are some times with without revealing the identity of those guilty, Yeah. Uh, what are some ways that you've seen it go, both for positive or negative, the good, the bad, the biblical, the unbiblical?
1: I mean, honestly, I haven't seen a whole lot of church discipline in my life so far. I've seen some bad ones that I absolutely did not agree with. And I've seen some that I think were done well. And specifically, there was someone who was in leadership within youth ministry. um, And this person was really involved and a huge mentor to a lot of the youth students. And it came out that this person was having sex outside of marriage. And that was pretty frequent and... (laughs) It was like...
0: Like they told you the frequency with which it was happening? Well,
1: it was <laughs> it was apparent that it was their lifestyle oh, it was ongoing. and yeah. not just like it happened once and, you know, that was the end of it. It was just part of their lifestyle. And so once the church leadership was aware of this, um, they did have this person removed from leadership within the youth group. And that was because of the way that it was harming the witness of... The church to the youth students. And obviously, it was just a very apparent way that this person was not living the life they were called to by Jesus. And I had actually seen that person restored back into leadership after a few years. And I think that ultimately, that's what made me think this was done well. Because Hmm. the end goal was restoration. It wasn't you're cut off. You can never serve again. You can never be in leadership again because you've done this sin. It was, hey, look, because of what's happening in your life, we can't have you in this sort of a leadership role, mentoring and um, discipling younger generations because of the way that you're carrying your own life. But we, we want you to be able to come back into this role. And so we want to walk with you there through that. And obviously, I don't know the details of how this person like was restored back or mm-hmm. how they were keeping track of that or anything but i do you know you didn't do like a
0: looky-loo and
1: <laughs> yeah like and do it, some rooting around <laughs>
0: to see what it was
1: i'm sure it wasn't any of those things but uh this person was restored back into leadership and you could see that this person was far more connected to the church afterwards hmm. and there was just this genuine um I don't know, I guess trust that was even built between this person and the church and the leaders within the church. So it was really a pretty beautiful thing that I was able to witness within this person's life and within the church carrying out church discipline the way that Jesus intended it to be.
0: Wow, that's really encouraging. It must be nice. Yeah, (laughs) because- I've never never been involved in a situation that ended like that. Right. Or witnessed it even.
1: Mm hmm Yeah, I mean, I've seen some pretty ugly ones where- you know, based on maybe even some personal feelings that were hurt by a member in the church and some church leaders where they were personally offended or they were personally hurt and they wielded their authority as a church leader Hmm. and they excommunicated people because they were personally offended. And that certainly is not what we see.
0: Right. Church discipline isn't a political tool or it it shouldn't be. Mm -hmm. You're not doing it if... You missed it if that's yep. what you're using it for. Yeah. I think for me, there's been a, a number of situations I've seen it, and I could probably rattle off you know half a dozen or more stories. I think two that are relevant. Uh, not that there wasn't a heart for restoration; it just unfortunately never got there. And there's one in particular. I remember I was in high school at the time. I think I was like 16 or 17 years old, and there I was at a church, and there was a worship leader who led worship for the young adults group. And a lot of times, like, you know, if you're a uh, junior or senior in high school, you would help with that worship team. And it came out that uh, she was sleeping with uh, a high school boy who was a senior in high school. She was married, had, I think, a couple of kids. And she was sleeping with this teenager. Wow. And it was like.
1: That's devastating.
0: It was a whole thing. Yeah, like, Absolutely like the husband came to his house with the baseball bat and like it was like
1: to the teenager's house yeah
0: it was oh, like a gosh. whole thing and so it was just this crazy situation and so when you know church leadership got involved they basically said like hey like you need to confess to this and do a public apology this was a very kind of public situation do a public apology and then we'll kind of Walk the path of restoration. We'll get you in counseling. We'll like we'll do like mm-hmm. everything we can to make sure like you get on the path of healing. Uh, unfortunately, she just opted to leave the church. Yeah, and so that's what happens a lot. I think another story where that happened. It wasn't something that I actually saw at my church, but it was actually I was at a meeting with um, a, a number of local uh, church staffs and their pastors there, and we you know we had lunch and we kind of would talk and hang out and. There'd be a topic of discussion. And at the end of one of these meetings, a pastor from a church, you know, maybe 15 minutes down the road from ours, came up to – I was standing next to my lead pastor. And he's like, hey, I need to talk to you. Um, We have an issue of church discipline. There was someone at his church that they put under church discipline for something. I can't even remember what it was. I can't even remember if he revealed it in that moment. But he said, we put them under church discipline. And turns out what they did is they just stopped going to our church and they went 15 minutes down the road to your church and just started attending your church. And I just wanted you to know that. And so it was kind of like this awkward situation where someone had just hopped churches because we're the same denomination. We're the same kind of area. And so those are a couple of situations where I've seen it like not go to its intended end goal, its intended completion, And I think that is something that is pretty frequent, like whenever you you find yourself in this disciplined situation.
1: Yeah, church discipline doesn't go as well as we would like for a number of reasons. And I think one of them is because as humans, our systems of carrying out justice and then trying to redeem somebody back into the fold is flawed and we are... (laughs) Sinners by nature. And so even with our best intentions and our hope to get it right, when you have multiple people involved that are all sinners and flawed, it gets messy and it gets awkward and feelings get hurt. And I think that's probably the number one reason why it's not carried out the way it's supposed to, just because we are flawed in our efforts to carry it out, regardless of, again, our best intentions to get it right. But Apart from that, I think there are some systematic issues as well that can contribute to us not getting it right. And one of them is because the way that church culture works now is we're we're pretty consumeristic in the way that we view
0: church yeah, as Yeah, and that's members. a sweeping generality, but I think it holds relatively true that we're yeah. pretty consumeristic in the way that pastors interact with the people at their churches. Mm-hmm. We fi- We try not to, but like that's you know, it's just the way it is, you know, we're in a consumeristic society. And so that bleeds into the church.
1: It does. And so it's hard from the angle of church leadership, because when someone attends your church, they come to consume in many ways, and they don't actually feel like they are responsible to that church. And I think one of your examples of how it went wrong is a really good example, because it happens all the time, where instead of Following through the process of church discipline, that person can decide to just leave the church and go to another one. Like That's the freedom that we have to do, um, to make that decision. We have that freedom. And I think as a pastor, like you know that. Yeah. And so you think, why exercise church discipline if they're going to leave anyways? And then there's a fear on the pastor's end, right?
0: Well, it's tough because you're trying to thread the needle because you're trying to lead them, right? And you're trying to lead them even when you need to tell them hard truth. But at the same time, the relationship is fragile because they at any moment they can just leave. Mm -hmm. And so unless those relational dynamics are very, very strong, it it can be very tough.
1: Yeah. And so I think that kind of covers a few would be the, the size of the churches too. They're not small enough to really create these relationships among the church leaders and the members To where church discipline can happen well.
0: Yeah. And that's even if you're like two, 300 people, because that's just, yeah,
1: you can't be meaningfully connected
0: to Mm -hmm. two to 300 people. Mm
1: -hmm. And I think that's where you have some churches that have this more developed idea of church membership for the sake of church discipline and saying like, look, you're accountable to us. We're accountable to you. Like, will you sign this document and like, say that we're both in agreement to this Mm -hmm. and maybe that will allow church discipline to happen a little bit easier. And we're all on the same understanding of the way that we work together. But at the end of the day, signing a piece of paper doesn't make that relationship actually happen. It doesn't develop the relationship. And And at that point
0: it's more judicial than it is relational. Yeah, It's more corporate than it is on a discipleship Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. level of thinking.
1: Yeah. And so I think there are a lot of challenges from the end of church leadership to their members and also members again going back to this idea of us being americans we don't want anyone telling us what to do we don't want anyone calling us out or thinking they can discipline us like that word alone like
0: we are unruly
1: (laughs) yeah (laughs) that word alone discipline it's negative and like you like you said it's icky like we don't want it and I certainly don't want anyone disciplining me.
0: No, I don't want anyone telling me what to do. No,
1: I don't want you calling me out on my sin and telling me that this is what I need to do to correct it. As if you don't have sin in your life, like there's just a lot happening. And unfortunately, I think that's because as Christians, we just don't have a good, healthy understanding of church discipline, maybe because we haven't seen it done well. But as a member, we also have to take responsibility of the fact that we just don't want it. And if you're going to try and discipline me, I'm just going to leave. And we shouldn't have that mentality, but we do.
0: Right. And by the way, this isn't to say that we shouldn't have large churches because...
1: Oh yeah, no. I'm just saying this does make it a challenge.
0: Yeah. So basically, what we're doing is we're just saying we see a lot of problems. We don't know what the solutions are, but we just want to point out the problems to yeah. you.
1: So how can we get it right, Dale?
0: <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, maybe people just stop sinning. Like, <laughs> is that so much to ask that you you just stand in line without me needing to discipline you? Um, I think you know that's probably a big question that uh, we perhaps are not qualified to answer, <laughs> but. We can answer it anyways, and you can you know take the answer that you get, and if you like it, you know, use it, and if you don't, then this podcast is free. So I mean, <laughs> you get what you pay for. But I, I think the main thing is that the process has to stay relational, right? Mm. Yes, yeah. it can't be judicial. It can't be so authoritative, top down. Like just because I'm the leader, you have to listen to me. I think on the on the level of friendship and the the level of relationship, that's where it has to start, and that's where it has to stay. I think even – that's why it says if someone has sinned against you, if your brother or sister has sinned against you, that's on the level of a friendship, of a relationship. You go to that person. And so trying to keep it as contained as possible in the relational dynamics without then like pulling rank on somebody, I think at all costs, keeping it there and resolving those issues is super important.
1: Yeah, and I think we have to be aware of unhealthy power dynamics. That happen within churches.
0: Are you saying that happens? Unhealthy power dynamics in a church? (laughs) Yeah.
1: And so we need to be aware if there are certain groups of people that no matter what they do, they're never going to be disciplined. But they're always the ones that are carrying out the discipline. And we see that. You know, where they are
0: untouchable. I've seen literally a, a man physically threaten a lead pastor and an elder chair on a Sunday morning on the church patio with relative impunity because he was kind of in the power group. And so I think that was kind of a toxic season in that church. That's not something that happens all the time. But uh, if there's a a power imbalance and there's this power group, but that's mm-hmm. kind of full of some church bullies. um. It can be real bad for church discipline where those people are untouchable, but if you're on the outside group, then you can get ousted relatively easily you with you
1: sneezed incorrectly.
0: Right, with yeah. you know, just full force of discipline.
1: Yeah, and I think as well sometimes we need to be willing to be wronged and to be okay with that. Right. Like we don't have to call out every single time someone does something to us and then claim church discipline.
0: Right. Like you don't have to escalate every single situation.
1: Yeah. And that's not to say that we don't take sin and the weight of sin and its offense as seriously as we see in Scripture, because we need to do that. But we also need to carry out wisdom on our own and think of those relationships like, is this some kind of a sin that is of the nature that it needs to be redeemed back in? to the fold and if that's the kind of sin, then certainly let's let's go through the process of church discipline but if it's not and it's kind of a minor thing that you were just offended by, then you don't need to go and address it with that person necessarily. sometimes you can just be offended and extend forgiveness because <laughs> the Bible has a lot to say about forgiveness too. like
0: you can do that like yeah. it's possible. Through Jesus. Yeah, and I think really above all of these things, we just have to keep the idea front and center that this is all about restoration. Yeah. And I think in the same way, like any parent will sometimes act out of anger towards their kid and discipline them. It, all, it will happen. But the point is that we need to make every effort that it doesn't happen or it happens as little as possible. Where we're not acting purely out of anger, it's okay to be angry as, you know someone has done something that is an offense to be, you know, it's natural to be angry about that, but we can't act out of that anger. We need to feel that anger, but then we need to act out of love and, and uh, really out of compassion for that person uh, rather than anger towards that person.
1: Yeah. And if we do act out of anger, we need to be self-aware enough and humble enough to apologize Mm. and to backtrack and go back to that person And even as a leader in the church to be able to go to somebody and say, I'm sorry. And just because you are the person in power doesn't mean you're going to get it right all the time. It actually means you're probably not. (laughs) But you need to be able to be the one who goes and says, I'm sorry. And that's hard. Saying sorry is very hard, especially when there's this expectation that you're supposed to get it right. I already feel that with our son Silas, who's a year and a half old. I've certainly responded to him because I'm just at the edge of myself and he does one little thing and I'm just like flipped <laughs> over and I just <laughs> yell at him and I'm mad. And and I think it happened just yesterday where I called him over and I said, Silas, I'm sorry. Like, mommy was really upset and I shouldn't have yelled at you like that. I'm really sorry. And he didn't. I mean, he just looked at me and walked away. But <laughs> I knew that it was important that I apologize because – When you're in a place of power and authority, like that's the natural relationship, Mm -hmm. it's really easy for you to say, well, I don't need to apologize, but you have to. And you extending that out without someone pushing you to do it goes a long way in your authority and also in the trust that people have for you to lead them.
0: Yeah, I think we need to normalize church leadership saying like, hey, we got that one wrong.
1: We are really sorry about
0: that. Like we really believed we were going in the right direction. Yeah. And it didn't go well. And so we're going to alter course. Mm -hmm. I think we need to normalize that. I think, uh, yeah, being in church leadership shouldn't be like being a politician. Mm. Like you shouldn't be trying to manage your image all the time. Yeah. Yeah. You should just say like, hey, like we thought we made the right choice and we didn't make the right choice. We thought we were doing the the right thing, but maybe we acted out of impure motives, not that we meant to, but here we are. I think if we're willing to admit that we got it wrong, then that sets us on a path to where in the future we're going to be able to get it right.
1: Thanks for listening to the Her and Him podcast.
0: If you enjoyed hanging out with us, consider subscribing to the podcast to receive it automatically each week.
1: Also, be sure to head over to our website, herandhim.com, and you can get show notes for this episode, read our blogs, and other helpful resources.
0: We'd also love to hear from you, so you can email us at herandhimblog at gmail.com.
1: Thanks again, and we will see you next time.